This week on the mic drop, we are on pins and needles. Monica's not eating or sleeping. After five years this week, we will learn if Dallas will be a FIFA World Cup host in 2026. Gina Miller of FC Dallas joins us to break it all down, to talk about the team's fast start, the league's new Apple TV Plus deal, and how when FC Dallas wins, head coach Nico Estevez delivers cookies to the front office. Then, Envy Gaming CEO Jeff Moore returns to the mic drop. He talks about what taking over the operating rights for the eSports Stadium in Arlington means for gaming in our area. We learn about the prowess and international reach of Scump, Shotzi, Illy, and Dashi. Those are pro gamers on the Optic team, by the way. And how gaming is much more social than you probably realize. Marcus Carr gives us a recap of Troy Aikman's Highway to Henrietta Music Festival, which was a runaway success last Saturday and raised lots of money for education and community initiatives in Troy's hometown. So let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop, everybody, the official podcast of the Dallas Sports Commission. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by Dallas Sports Commission Executive Director Monica Paul, whose heart rate is extremely elevated as we record this on Wednesday morning with the big announcement about the 2026 World Cup coming on Thursday late afternoon. Stay tuned for more on that. Also with us, of course, is Next Level Marcus Carr. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following. It's episode 67 for crying out loud. And to me, that means thinking about Cowboys number 67, Pat Donovan. Here at the mic drop, we love a good story. And Pat Donovan's a pretty good story. Drafted by the Cowboys out of Stanford in the fourth round in 1975 as a defensive end. And three days in the training camp, he was converted to, to offensive uh, tackle. It's uh, impossible to imagine that happening uh, today, but it, it happened. And he went on to uh, play nine years with the Cowboys. He never missed a game on the offensive line. Another thing hard to imagine uh, today. He was part of that offensive line that was nicknamed four Irishmen and a Scott. That would be John Fitzgerald, Donovan, Jim Cooper, and Herb Scott, and Tom Rafferty, who opened up so many holes for Tony Dorsett. Donovan is one of only five Cowboys offensive linemen to play in four Pro Bowls along with Flozell Adams, Rayfield Wright, Tyron Smith, and Eric Williams. He played the three Super Bowls. Uh, and you know what else? In the, at the turn of the century, Sports Illustrated did a list of the top 50 athletes from each state. And Pat Donovan was named the fourth best athlete ever to come out of Montana. And I just thought that was a, a cool note. I know you want to know, okay, who was number one? Well, it was Major League pitcher, four-time 20-game winner Dave McNally, who played mostly, as I recall, with the Orioles and Expos. Evil Knievel was number 14. But Pat Donovan was number four. So for episode 67, hats off to former 67 on the Cowboys, Pat Donovan. Uh, Monica, I, I, as I mentioned, I know your heart rate is elevated. The big announcement is coming on Thursday. We're going to devote most, if not all, of next week's mic drop to breaking it down. Uh, you've worked on this since 2017 or maybe even before FIFA announcing the World Cup cities for 2026. 
17 contending in the U.S. for 10 spots, if I'm not mistaken, if that hasn't changed. Uh, number one, how are you feeling? And number two, do you want to change the subject and talk about something else happening at the Sports Commission? No. To get that off your mind. Sully, Sully, I'm not sure <laughs> there's anything else happening at the Sports Commission right now. Uh, it is really all hands on deck uh, as we prepare for this announcement. And it, I'm, I'm feeling excited. I'm feeling a little bit nervous. I'm in the can't eat, can't sleep uh, category right now. So uh, it's I uh, can't get the brain to, to shut off uh, and quiet down. So and it's it's a testament of having I mean, one, I'm very passionate about it. It's something that I think I I feel I poured my heart in and, uh, you know, something that I want for this city and the region. And, you know, we've been working on it. For, for five years, I think about four years ago today, FIFA, or around this week time period, FIFA announced that the World Cup would be here in North America, in Canada, United States, and Mexico. So uh, add another four years of uh, working on getting FIFA additional stuff because, you know, that first bid was just to name a host country or countries, and now it was ensuring that our city, which I think, you know, they used to have a list of cities, about 26 or something like that, um, that started off in this bid process. Uh, and now it's kind of whittled down. So, but ensuring that your city is one that is chosen is, uh, you know, very important. So I'm feeling excited. I think we placed Dallas, uh, in, in the DFW North Texas region and, uh, in, in the appropriate spot. I think that we have the assets, but I think we have everything that FIFA is needing in a host city, uh, and I think we can make them successful. I, I don't think there's any doubt that 2026 will be the most successful World Cup to date. Uh, there'll be expanded field of teams, number of matches, uh, and that trickles down to economic impact, benefit for, for the host communities, the, the residents that live here, and all those types of things. So uh, a, lot, a lot riding on it now. Uh, clarifying FIFA is only announcing host cities. We won't know if uh, we're going to be hosting a final or a semifinal or how many matches or level of matches. Uh, International Broadcast Center, which we've talked about uh, a lot here on the mic drop. We won't know that. that that's still, um, we're still in discussions there. So hopefully that after we get through Thursday and named a host city, then we can actually extend and expand on those conversations. So, and actually, if uh, once we're named a host city, I'm going to go ahead and speak in that, uh, throw that out in the universe in a positive tone, that uh, we will be named a host city on, on Thursday. Uh, we actually have to take a delegation to uh, New York to meet with FIFA, all host cities. So we'll be heading to New York from Sunday to Tuesday to meet so that we have an idea from them timing, next steps, uh, what we need to get done here. Because, yes, I mean, for me, I feel like the big work is about to start and that uh, now we have to execute uh, this plan and, and put what, you know, our vision to work and engage a lot more partners and the entire community and the entire region. And, uh, and that goes everywhere from transportation to human rights to, uh, you know, airport services, guest services, uh, um, PR marketing, fan fest uh, activations, you name it. I mean, we've, we've got a big thing, you know, big lift uh, ahead of us, I hope. Well, we've had one guest after another through our first 66 episodes come on and talk about, you know, you, the efforts that you and your team have made here to make this happen. So we're all, we're all pulling for you. We admire your passion and how hard you've worked, how smart you've worked. And, 
And, you know, if I recall the early conversations about what became the Mic Drop podcast, it was related to the FIFA bid, right? There was a there was a, a line item in there somewhere about demonstrating uh, proficiency and expertise and hosting a podcast. Wasn't <laughs> I have that right? Was the. You know, I'm going to have to go back and read the like 200 plus uh, pages of bid specifications. But I think you're absolutely right uh, that uh, wanted to make sure that we could get a podcast off the ground before we could host a World Cup. I think that's a prerequisite. Well, you know, I know we've got the hotels and the airport and the great people and the entrepreneurial spirit and great facilities and all that. But we got a podcast, too. So let's 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 uh, hope that helped. Uh so good luck with that. More to come on that next week. It'll be fun to talk about, hopefully, uh, what is what is good news. But no matter what happens, Monica, major uh, respect your way for the for the way you've attacked this and approached it and the coalition you've built in support of it. And and uh, just you know, way to go to you and your team at the Dallas Sports Commission. Uh, there was a mic drop moment uh, here. Uh, Tuesday night, I attended the Rangers game, a heartbreaking four to three loss to the dreaded Houston Astros, but it was Mavericks night. I love when the teams do that, when they welcome, you know, the other teams with a special night and, you know, Mavs man was there and champ, the mascot was there and a bunch of Mavericks staffers and CEO sent Marshall friend of the mic drop throughout a ceremonial first pitch. And I encourage our listeners go to the Mavericks Instagram account. You got to watch this video major props to sit Marshall for throwing from the top of the mound. She towed the rubber and let it rip. Now she bounced it in, but it was a one hopper. It was right on line at home plate. Very impressive. And it takes a lot of guts. There were 29,300 people there last night, a great crowd. It takes a lot of guts to get there on the t- top of the mound and let it rip like that. And she was looking good doing it. Uh, I, I, along with her, uh, powder blue Rangers Jersey. She had a strand of pearls. So she did it with style and did it with, uh, with impressive athleticism. So way to go, uh, sit Marshall and uh, keep watching the Rangers, man. They, they, these, the young players are, are, are looking good, battling some injuries and, and some COVID uh, setbacks. Uh, but, but Rangers are, are definitely headed in the right direction. Uh, and with that, we will be back to talk to our friend, Gina Miller uh, of FC Dallas. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rachel. And now what a pleasure it is to welcome back to the mic drop our good friend Gina Miller, VP of Comms and Media for FC Dallas. She's also seen on FC Dallas broadcast, where, of course, she carries Mark Followell, longtime TV presence in Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, Gina, welcome back to the mic drop. Rookie mistake. I was going to say, good morning, Sully. That check is in the mail. And you, you said such a wonderful intro. And of course, I forgot to unmute myself. So <laughs> it happens. It Thank happens. you for that. Well, Sully, no Gina is way more than that. Uh, Gina is on my like speed dial list right now. So uh, I, uh, I'm, uh, 
I could talk on and on about Gina, but before we get to uh, some of our World Cup talk uh, this week, uh, Gina, let's start on on the pitch. As we record this, FC Dallas is in second place in the Western Conference, four points behind LAFC. What has been the key to the team's strong start this season? There have been so many things that you've seen both on the pitch and I would say in the locker room that have really impacted impacted this team's performance. First and foremost, we have a new head coach and I could talk for about an hour about Nico Estevez and what he's brought to FC Dallas uh, down in the locker room and upstairs. But when you think about this team tactically and what it's doing, you got to look right at Jesus Ferreira. He is tied for the MLS lead in goals scored, tied for the golden boot right now with nine goals scored in 2022. And that's really remarkable. I mean, he's already passed his career high in goals scored for a season and we're not even at the halfway point through the FC Dallas season right now so he's really been impressive you also have a new player that FC Dallas uh, traded some some funny money some gam with DC United for this offseason and Paul Ariola. and Paul has just been a locker room guy but he's also been really effective on the pitch too he scored in five straight MLS matches both of them have been competing with the U.S. men's national team during this most recent national team window and they've just been effective. Dallas's defense has been outstanding as well. You know, you have some goalkeepers in and out, but it has been Martin Paz who has been in goal for the majority of the season for FC Dallas's MLS matches. And he's been phenomenal. FC Dallas acquired him on loan. And I wouldn't be surprised if he stays the rest of the season. Well, I'm going to, you mentioned Nico Estevez, uh, seems to be a very good hire. And you said you could talk for hours about him. So I'm, a, I'm probably going to expand and maybe ask you to talk for maybe not a few hours, but at least a few minutes. Uh, but we were impressed with him as well. We've had him here on, on the mic drop before. What has he been like to work with? He's been outstanding. I mean, he has a vision and he has, he's precise and he's diligent, but he's nimble, but he has a vision. He knows what he wants to accomplish. The very first day he came in here, he was coming in and he was talking about what he wanted to change from the uh, locker room situation. When he came in and understood what his opportunity was with this team, he knew what kind of players he wanted to acquire to help build this roster to be competitive. And I think his style of play has just been really, really effective on the pitch. You know, how he maximizes his players, players who were on loan this season were texting one another saying, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get back there because I'm hearing great things about what this team is doing in the locker room and, and great, great chemistry in the room. And, and we know that that manifests itself into performance on the pitch. Um, he's, he's just been a pleasure to work with after every victory, he comes upstairs and he brings cookies for victory Monday. Even if the team's <laughs> on the road, he has his admin staff bringing around cookies. I, I decline them politely because you know, I'm trying to stay, you know, summer ready here, but uh, it really makes an impact and the entire organization, not just the first team, not just the technical staff has a connection with him. Yeah. I think team culture and bringing it in from the locker room to the overall organization is, uh, that's, that's a big thing. Uh, uh, you know, I feel like FC Dallas has to deal with things that maybe other professional teams here in our, uh, area don't have to in that you players get called up at, uh, to the U.S. men's national team, you know, so you may have different players coming in and out and not available. How, how do you navigate that? And how, how, how's that been like? It's hard. 
you have your best players, not just players, but your best players called up to various national teams. And, and in, in this case, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira yep. were both called up to the U.S. men's national team who played El Salvador on Tuesday night. And so it really is a challenge that soccer coaches, MLS coaches in the United States have to work through. There are tournaments that MLS teams play concurrent that run adjacent to the MLS season in the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup uh, tournament, the oldest running soccer tournament in the United States. FC Dallas has been eliminated, but it just has another layer of challenge that the team works through. Depth depth certainly comes into play there. Um, you know, like any team, injuries are a part of the game, but when players, your best players get called up, that depth comes into play in that scenario. Fortunately, during this international break, FC Dallas was on break and we didn't have to play any matches, but it's going to be something that's going to impact us continually. Fortunately, again, that depth is really, really important for the club. And I give our coaches credit. You know, Nico Estevez has really learned how to manage the rotations with his players to put players, uh, really take advantage of that next man up mentality, if you will. I would also say, that last night, uh, Tuesday night versus El Salvador, you saw former Columbus crew head coach, who's now the U.S. men's national team head coach, Greg Berhalter, go with a starting lineup that wasn't so MLS heavy. Understanding that MLS teams were going back into action this particular weekend, the weekend of the 18th and 19th as we record this, I feel like Greg Berhalter did all MLS coaches a solid by not putting heavy minutes on his MLS players who were on his roster for this particular international break. It's all about managing minutes and, and trying to really fit that Tetris puzzle by making sure that you get your players playing the best, but they're also fresh. And, and, you know, we could see an impact with a guy like Jesus Ferreira who scored four goals against Grenada last week. He may not get heavy minutes or he may not get the starting nod when FC Dallas hosts Vancouver on Saturday, June 18th, but he'll certainly be available to play. And, and our head coach, Nico Estevez, really understands how to manage the minutes and ensure the guys are fresh for what's going to be a very heavy summer of play for FC Dallas. You know, before we get to the 2026 World Cup conversation, the 2022 World Cup is we'll be here before we know it in November in, in Qatar. Is there a chance, as you talk about about Jesus Ferreira and Paul Ariola getting called up to the U.S. men's national team, is there a chance that they fig could figure in the in the 2022 uh, U.S. men's national team roster for the World Cup? I have to say, I'm just speculating here and I'm advocating here. I think Jesus Ferrer is certainly a lock, though. He has been phenomenal when given the opportunity, scoring four goals versus Grenada, just the fifth player to do so in U.S. men's national team history. The U.S. men's national team needs that striker. Ricardo Pepe served in that role previously. I, I think Jesus Ferreira is doing a, a very strong job of maximizing his national team opportunity. And then I think Paul Ariola is, is really making things tough for Greg Berhalter, if you will, the U.S. men's national team coach. Paul Ariola is making his case. And we, of course, here at FC Dallas love that. You also see such an FC Dallas influence on that national team roster. In Weston McKinney, who came up through the FC Dallas Academy system. Kellen Acosta, former FC Dallas homegrown who played for FC Dallas. Reggie Cannon, former FC Dallas homegrown who played for FC Dallas. Defender Walker Zimmerman, who was drafted by FC Dallas. Um, I think you're definitely going to see some current FC Dallas players playing in Qatar when the World Cup, FIFA World Cup 2022 begins on November 21st. 
And I definitely think you'll see some players who have those FC Dallas ties, whether through the academy system, the homegrown program, or having been drafted by FC Dallas. That influence will be felt later this year in Qatar. We had some breaking news yesterday from MLS headquarters about the new media deal mm-hmm. for next season with the, the national package, all MLS games nationally will be made available on Apple TV plus. Now, I, this is, I guess, a two-part question. Break it down for us. How do you feel about that uh, going to Apple TV Plus? But number two, we had a we've had a lot of guests, especially last year on the mic drop. We talked about the impact of of Ted Lasso. None more eloquently or or more fun than you. And you made some very interesting points about the power of that show. And is there is number one? What do you think of the deal and going to Apple TV Plus? And number two. Is, could there be a Ted Lasso connection here? I hope so. You, you know I'm such a fan of the show. I've rewatched every episode in season one and two about 10 times. I think it's a phenomenal move on MLS's part. The MLS fan is a digital native who streams. It over-indexes more so than the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and NHL fan. About 87% of MLS fans identify as streamers. And given the proliferation and the availability of the Apple TV platform, it's a no-brainer. It's on pretty much every device and every TV, whether it be via Roku, a Fire Stick, or Apple TV itself. So I think it's accessible. The package itself ensures there are zero blackouts of MLS matches. If a match is going to be on network TV, on linear network TV, it's going to be simulcast on the MLS Apple TV platform, which really makes it available to anyone. It'll be in more than 100 countries around the world, really helping grow Major League Soccer to make our players and our sport more accessible and more available to people around the world. From a fan standpoint, I think it's a no-brainer because it also gives every season ticket member of every team access to this complimentary. It's free access to every season ticket member. Every paid season ticket member account will get free access to it. From a broad 30,000-foot view, I think it makes so much sense to align with the product Apple TV and Ted Lasso that has helped make soccer part of our vernacular and and really done more for soccer in this country than just about anything else, quite frankly, at least in in this modern 2010 era. And to be able to partner with that, it is my dream to have some sort of Ted Lasso connection to FC Dallas, you know, and I can go down the rabbit hole here. Jason Sudeikis is from Kansas. He's got an affiliation with Sporting Kansas City. You've seen some of that Kansas City stuff all over uh, Ted Lasso itself with the barbecue and everything. So I'm hoping that we can maybe leverage, you know, our ownership who have, you know, a little bit of a tie to Kansas City. (laughs) I'm hoping that I can leverage that just a little bit to get uh, the Ted Lasso crew here to North Texas. Well, and I can only imagine the, the potential for Roy Kent vignettes on the on the oh, video yeah. board. So, so, but you're right. We could go down the rabbit hole. Uh, the FC Dallas does an excellent job in the community. June is Pride Month. Tell us about the initiatives that you have uh, ongoing as part of Pride Month. 
Yep, Saturday night, uh, June 18th is Y'all Means All Night for FC Dallas as we will be celebrating pride and honoring the LGBTQIA plus community. We're really excited about that. All MLS teams will be wearing pride training tops. We're wearing pride training tops before the match. It's our only home game in June, which is kind of a bummer because these tops are really cool and we'd love to be doing more activations at home here at Toyota Stadium throughout the month. But we are... Uh, auctioning off those tops through the Dash auction app. Each player will sign his pride training top and the proceeds from that will be benefiting an LGBTQIA plus uh, organization here in North Texas. It's also Juneteenth uh, weekend, the weekend in which Major League Soccer commemorates Juneteenth, which is the next day after our June 18th match. And you'll see every MLS player that weekend on their jerseys will have these really cool numbers that uh, honor and represent the importance of Juneteenth and the abolition of slavery here in the United States. And uh, we'll be auctioning off those jerseys, which will be autographed by all of our players through Fanatics. And that will benefit the SM Wright Foundation here in North Texas, the proceeds from those jersey auctions. So we're excited about that on-field activation throughout the month of June. We've been really active out in the community. We were at the Pride Festival uh, on June 4th, uh, having a setup in Fair Park and activating with the community there. And then throughout the month internally, we have uh, ongoing diversity, equity, and inclusion discussions. I wouldn't even say training at this point. They're just open discussions with our staff, uh, leveraging the LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce here in North Texas and having those discussions with our staff to, to educate our staff and form and have open discussions about what we can do, not just to be advocates for for this community, but really allies and champions year round, not just in the month of June. Before I hand it back to Monica, uh, we got to talk about the the big news coming up Thursday night of this week about the 2026 World Cup in Dallas. Hopefully, being selected, you know, as a as a host city. You you have played an enormous part of of Monica's effort here, uh, so we're all grateful to you for that. But talk a little bit about Monica, oh, you, you know she's going to be embarrassed, but oh no, she would she would never say this. But Shit. give our listeners a sense, Gina, of what Monica has poured into this over the last five years and what it would mean to get good news uh, Thursday late afternoon at AT and T Discovery Park. I said that I could talk about an hour about Nico Estevez. We could spend all week talking about Monica Paul and what her and her team at the Dallas Sports Commission's efforts have done to help grow soccer, the visibility of North Texas, and our entire sports community. I think, Monica, and I'm telling you this, and you know I'm not a BSer here, I think you are one of the biggest assets to our entire community here in North Texas. I say it all the time, sports is woven into the fabric of our culture. We don't have beaches, we don't have mountains, we have sporting events, and it's what we do. And as somebody who grew up within the sports community here in North Texas, you have helped raise our profile, grow it through your work. You're not someone who is a figurehead. This is what I can tell you. Monica Paul is no figurehead. We see a lot of people who, who lead a commission or lead a committee and they have people. Monica has a lot of great people who put in a lot of hours, but Monica is also out there filling out the paperwork, the thousands of pages of paperwork, which is a lot of work. <laughs> There's a reason it's called work. She's meeting with the stakeholders in North Texas, getting all the mayors of the big cities aligned, which we know is not easy. Diplomacy is not easy. Getting the Cowboys and FC Dallas and Mavericks and Stars and Rangers and Wings and Jackals all to support this particular effort, 
with Dallas 2026, but also with other events from WWE to the amazing, uh, you know, winter classic that the Dallas Stars put on with the city of Dallas and Fair Park. She understands how to navigate the city system. She understands how to liaise and do so in a way that is cost effective and beneficial, not just for city stakeholders, but for everyone in North Texas. The legacy that Monica is going to leave with all these events you've brought to town, Monica, and all the positive impacts they've had from the fields to the initiatives that we know WWE and the Cowboys and the Winter Classic and, and the Final Fours, all these great events have put on, they leave a sustaining legacy. And Monica Paul is really in the driver's seat of so many of these events that are happening here. And, and we're all appreciative of it. I'm telling you, I could talk for no, an hour. We have two, to stop. <laughs> Monica, it's true. It's true, though. And, and I don't think our sports community and our and our, our people and our residents here in North Texas really understand what it is that you do for all of us here. Well, uh, I, I thought I was going to be crying tomorrow, Gina, but you've already made me cry today. And thank you Aww. for your kind words. I. I do. Uh, I love my job, and I uh, tell people all the time that I think I have the best uh, job in the world, and uh, I have a fantastic city and fantastic re region, and and partners here make my life enjoyable, fun. They're not only partners, they're friends, and you get to, you know, I get to work with my friends every day, and it's great because we have a common mission and, and, and it's not just lip service, uh, that people, uh, you know, give, they, they truly want to make what we're building, whether it's the world cup or a women's final four or celebrating title nine or whatever it may be that we're, we're doing at the sports commission. They, they want to lean in, they want to help, they want to make it the best, uh, and kind of raise that bar for other cities. So, uh, I, but I do appreciate your words. Uh, I, um, I'm in on pins and needles a little bit uh, for tomorrow. I'm excited for tomorrow. I, I can't believe we're actually to this point already. And uh, ho hopefully, fingers crossed, tomorrow will be named a host city. But Gina, you know, the, 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 I get to talk about economic impact and uh, the benefits that it's going to bring to the region and, and those types of things. But you know, as we saw in 1994 and then the development of the MLS uh, from a legacy standpoint, what in your in FC Dallas's vision to uh, how can this help soccer here locally as well as you know FC Dallas? I mean, what does that look? What does the World Cup in 2026 look like for for those uh, stakeholders? We certainly believe that a rising soccer tide lifts all boats, and and the World Cup is truly the biggest thing in soccer the biggest thing in sports, some yep. would argue, um, but it's a very big deal. And we certainly believe it's going to raise interest in FC Dallas, given how much a contribution FC Dallas is making to the national team, whether it be coaches, former FC Dallas head coach, Luchi Gonzalez is now an assistant on us men's national team head coach, Greg Berhalter's staff. So there is a real connection here with the national team, but we have such an international roster that so many of our players play on, play on, you know, their respective national teams. Subak Shun was just a sub for Hungary yesterday uh, when, when Hungary played during the international break. But we believe that this interest in soccer can only help grow, validate FC Dallas. Let's be honest. We're still trying to erase some negative fixed attributes that go way, way back and predate all of us here. Really validate the sport as a major league sport and help elevate the sport in this country as the premier league. That is one of FC Dallas's stated goals, or excuse me, major league soccer's stated goals is to be considered and be among the top soccer leagues across the globe. 
this will help do that because it will it will help MLS become a league of choice for the premier soccer players around the globe. You've heard the rumors about Lionel Messi wanting to come to Major League Soccer. And we think that that will be more of more of that will happen, not so much in players' twilights, but in players' primes. And I think that that will really help raise raise the level of competition in the sport and in the league here in the United States and raise interest in it. Look, we're already seeing the best female athletes in America gravitate towards soccer. The best male athletes in America, you know, it's basketball, it's soccer, or excuse me, basketball, football. Those are the, the big ones there, but they're starting to gravitate towards soccer. And I think this will help more youth players have interest in the sport. The best players who the best athletes at that younger age, gravitate towards the sport, which will help make the U.S. men more competitive overall. And then just in Dallas-Fort Worth, let's call a spade a spade. We know what market this is. It is a Dallas Cowboys market. We can talk Cowboys 24-7 every single day of the year. And uh, you can talk Mavs when they're playing well, pretty much right right in lockstep with that. But um, we want to ensure that, you know, FC Dallas kind of becomes a talking sport and becomes a, a tune-in and a driver and, and an appointment viewing and an appointment attendance opportunity for fans here in North Texas. And with that World Cup conversation very closely aligned with everything we do here at FC Dallas, we think that having matches here in North Texas at AT&T Stadium, training grounds here at Toyota Stadium, MoneyGram Soccer Park, base camps across the region, we think the World Cup will help FC Dallas accomplish that. Well, Gina, I have two more questions for you, and I'm not going to ask you to speak for Dan, but I'd like to give get your perspective here because, you know, for, for those of you listening, Dan Hunt has, is the chair of our Dallas uh, bid committee for to bring the 2026 World Cup. So while Gina said I did a lot of the work, I can guarantee you that Dan and Gina and Jimmy and the entire FC Dallas team has uh, been there with us uh, every step of the way. But you know, this has to be pretty special for Dan, uh, seeing that, well, one, the Hunt name is synonymous with soccer in, in the United States and over the world, entire world. Um, but his father was also the co-chair of the 1994 World Cup. And Dan was a, a ball boy at the uh, 1994 World Cup. So this is, for, in my eyes, really coming full circle. How, how special do you think that is? And, you know... Uh, I'm hoping that Dan and it will all be celebrating tomorrow, but what's your prediction there? I, I absolutely know how special this is for Dan. Look, his father is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the International Tennis Hall of Fame, the National Soccer Hall of Fame here at Toyota Stadium. I could go on and on. And his legacy and impact on the sports landscape, not just soccer, but sports in general. He coined the term Super Bowl. He really created professional opportunities for elite tennis players. Uh, he's done so much. He created soccer in this country by virtue of uh, visiting a World Cup back in the 60s, creating the NASL, having those players come over from Europe, leaving a legacy here of, of building soccer camps and youth tournaments all across North Texas and North America, United States in particular, to help really develop that love and appreciation for the global game in this country. That legacy isn't lost on him. And for, for Dan, as a Dallas native, yeah. to be able to carry on that tradition and then hopefully uh, land a World Cup in North Texas, his father would be so proud. And I know that's something that drives him every day. He would, he would have the pride of his father and to be able to do that and create that sustaining legacy that a World Cup can, can do and leave 
would would just fill him with joy. And I think the one regret there is that his father is not here to yeah. see both him and his brother, Clark Hunt, who's the chairman of the Kansas City bid, hopefully succeed. I feel very confident about Dallas's chances to land meaningful matches for uh, the FIFA World Cup 2026. And that doesn't come from arrogance or cockiness at all. I just think when you make the case for all the wonderful facilities across the United States who are competing to host matches in 2026, AT&T Stadium is among the top. And when you think about what this region can offer in terms of hospitality, infrastructure that's already in place, the capital costs will not be as massive as they would in some other communities to get this market World Cup ready. It just makes sense. And nobody knows how to put on bigger events better than what we do here in Texas. Thanks in part to you and your team, Monica. The Cowboys know how to bring it on a global, massive scale from an event production standpoint. I just think it makes economic sense. It makes fan sense. It makes community sense. It just makes a lot of pragmatic sense for North Texas, Dallas, Arlington, Frisco, Fort Worth to, to be a FIFA World Cup 2026 host city. Well, Gina, if I wasn't already excited, Gina has just put me over the top this morning. So uh, I can continue talking for World Cup for hours, uh, quite honestly. So Gina... Um, thank you for everything that you've, you've done for us at the sports commission for this world cup bid, uh, what will continue hopefully to be working together a lot here over the next four years as we, uh, prepare to actually start doing the work. If we thought we were working hard now leading up to it, once we're named a host city, the actual work is going to start. Uh, so we'll have to hopefully, you know, be taking one day to, to celebrate and enjoy our win and then get right back to work. So Gina, thank you for everything you do. No, thank you, Monica. Thank you so much. It's such a treat to work with you and, and see how you lead your team and, and lead this community, really, to a level of, of new heights. And, and Sully, thank you for the time, too. It's always a pleasure. It's never enough time with you. Thanks, Gina. I appreciate that. And now, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Did you know the Dallas Zoo provides guests with real-life opportunities to make memorable connections with more than 2,000 animals? Please support the zoo's mission to inspire and empower action on behalf of the wildlife in Texas and around the world. Visit DallasZoo.com to purchase your tickets today. Thanks, Rach. And now it's a pleasure to welcome back to the mic drop Jeff Moore, the president and CEO of Envy Gaming. Our loyal Mic Drop listeners will remember Jeff joining us about a year ago right now, episode 17, where he told some great stories, including how he became the first employee ever hired by the stars. Uh, he has a long career uh, in driving revenue and, and marketing and sales and sports, primarily with uh, his long run with the stars, also with the Circuit of the Americas in Austin. Jeff, welcome back to the Mic Drop. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kevin. Uh, you bet. So, we know that uh, Envy Gaming has taken over the operating rights to the eSports Stadium in Arlington sure. earlier this year. It's a huge step for the organization. What, did, yeah. what does that mean uh, for, for Envy Gaming and, and uh, the future of gaming in our area? So I would say that uh, it's somewhat akin to a traditional sports team having a home venue, uh, but it's it's really more than that. So I wouldn't say that we're going, you know, just tradition down a traditional sports uh, business model path. It's more of a hybrid where we want the benefits available to having a local base, but we also want to 
be able to attract a lot of other uh, different events, esports and otherwise, and uh, also with a kind of a view towards strengthening the local marketplace and innovating the different types of esports and gaming events that we produce out of our own assets, which is Optic is our, our biggest asset. We have Optic Texas in the Call of Duty League, and we have Optic teams in Halo, Valorant, Apex Legends, uh, and gosh, I'm missing one right now, which is uh, terrible. But uh, but we have the Optic across a, a, a you know a bunch of different games, and then we have the Dallas Fuel and the Overwatch League, and we have some individual players in different uh, games as well. And so as we go forward, we host the large LAN uh, league events for Call of Duty and Overwatch, but then we'll also have and very soon to announce um, a couple of different individual team events. And then also as streaming uh, events become kind of bigger and more common, we're going to uh, create some very cool hybridization of those types of events to have both the live local studio audience with some of the amenities that uh, events like that have, but also streamers, uh, influencers live streaming, and then people streaming remotely. And so I think the, the creation of a wide, more diverse series of products, both digital streams and live events and connecting those two things together to get the, the social and uh, kind of, you know, uh, and our engagement benefits of those is really our long-term goal. Before we bring in Marcus Carr with a few questions, uh, talk for, for someone who hasn't been out to, to the facility, talk about the fan experience and maybe how you could even enhance it further now that sure. you've really sure. run in the place. Sure. So um, if you haven't been out, there's a tournament coming up in mid-August called Dota 2, uh, which is a huge event. Uh, and uh, they'll have huge crowds. Uh, I say a huge crowd. I mean, it's, it's uh, seats about 2,000 people uh, at one time. But the but the events are also more festival, more like a music festival, a series of days and time during the day. So if you like, you know, with the stars, if we had someone who bought a ten game pack, that was that was a good fan for us. Uh, that's a lot of games. Even season tickle are sometimes are split up into multiple, essentially ten game users in a season ticket. But for for a gaming festival, there's as many hours watched during a single Overwatch tournament we just had uh, called the Kickoff Clash at ESA. People would be there for essentially the same amount of hours watching those matches as they would be watching 10 Mavs or Stars games during a season. So they could be there for eight to 10 hours a day sometimes uh, watching four or five matches uh, in a tournament that culminates you know, with a champion uh, by the end of that weekend. So it's a... Uh, so the when you're at the venue, it's uh it's essentially like going to essentially a very large movie theater and having the the actors there playing their roles on the screen live with you know multiple obviously competitive endings to each kind of uh, part of the story or the movie. So it's very very intense. The screens are 25 feet high um, and it's very uh, kind of loud. A lot of sensory audio visual stimulants and the other thing is, is you know there's no referees the game's you know played inside the, the game itself and it's very fast and and the battles that happen along every map uh that make up it's more like a tennis uh match where you have sets that are made up of games uh it's very intense very uh competitive uh the best people in the world playing and it's very exciting and and it 
Uh, it helps if you play the game to understand what's going on. Uh, second best is being sitting next to someone who does it. Uh, but it's uh, exciting nonetheless. So it's it's really um, it's really an intense, uh, stimulating experience. Jeff, you you mentioned Call of Duty a little bit, and and Microsoft made a, a big move to purchase Activision earlier this year um, with over sixty billion dollars. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the deal? And you know, how does it change the gaming industry? Obviously, um, it, it has some some factors going for, for the future. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, it's a it's a huge purchase, you know, for sixty nine billion dollars. You could have, you know, the Broncos just sold for something like four billion dollars. So you can see from a scale you could buy, you know, you can buy the entire NFL. And obviously there are rules against them. But you could buy, you know, almost half of every sports league in America for the, almost the same amount of money. So it, it's a huge purchase and it speaks to the global uh, footprint of gaming. So uh, when I was in my prior job, when I was a consultant to uh, a sports architecture group that we were talking you know, about how to kind of make the experience and the, the commercial success of the different types of products for, you know, when people in uh, uh, other countries say, hey, I want something like AT&T Stadium, or I want something like, you know, the American Airlines Center or whatever in my country, you have to go and find out, well, what they're saying is I want a quality and type of uh, venue like this but in their country, which might be Japan or China or Indonesia or whatever, you have to go find what's best for them. Like what are, what are they already doing very well? And then what's best for them? Well, gaming can be played across the world uh, on PCs, essentially the same way everywhere. So it cuts across a lot of cultural language barriers that other sports struggle to. Soccer obviously does. The NBA is, is doing that more and more. But American football, baseball, hockey, can never go worldwide like this does. So when you see the scale of um, Microsoft's purchase of Activision Blizzard and their, their game library, it's really about that global connectivity that music can connect like that, gaming can connect like that, you know, religion doesn't necessarily connect all that well like that. And so there's only so many commonalities that can, that can be enjoyed by billions of people at the same time across all these different you know, geographic or cultural barriers. And so that's why you get the scale of a purchase like Microsoft's acquisition. Uh, that's why you get that sort of scale. Well, Op Optic kind of, uh, you know, achieved that global dominance when they won uh, the, their Valorant championship. Yeah. Uh, can you yeah. talk a little bit about, about that Optic team? And obviously, what, what are your expectations for, you know, the teams under the MV umbrella? We are incredibly fortunate to have, uh, you know, the, the players we have on Optic. I mean, Skump and Shotzi and... Uh, Dashi and Ilya are all uh, incredible players and, and and we're more than fortunate to have someone like Hector Rodriguez leading that brand, leading that team and and being the the soul you know of of making making optic. And so our goal is to then spread that ethic and that um, uh, competitive desire for excellence um, and fan connection into all these other similar games. And so Halo, Valorant, um, um, Apex Legends uh, are all kind of in that same uh, vein. When the team went to uh, Reykjavik in Iceland, uh, it, it, I, I would say even Valorant speaks to the global nature of esports more than Call of Duty does. Call of Duty is essentially a game that's played by countries that remember World War II kind of in, in a fond way, you know, that they were victorious in World War II and this, it has a meaningful part of the culture, but not every country is like that. 
And so it's mainly American and Western Europe uh, for the most part. So at Valorant, uh, we beat a team from Korea, DRX. We beat the Zeta division from Japan. Uh, we lost to Loud, who was a Brazilian team, but we came back and beat Loud in the final. Uh, we beat Stan Kroenke's uh, North American team in the first match uh, called the Guard. Uh, and then previously, we had uh, both lost to, I think, and beaten uh, Syria from Thailand. And so when you think about that, you know, what other championship event has, you know, teams from all those different countries and they're all good. This is not some dream team coming and winning by an average of 32 points in the 96 Olympics. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, maybe 96, uh, you know, just dunking all over everybody by 30 a game. It's not that, you know, this is close, close competition from all over the world. And the reason why, uh, especially the teams like from Thailand or Korea or Japan are important is because if you go to a globe and you put a pin in Hong Kong and then you have a circle, radius circle of a five-hour flight around that pin, there's more humans on Earth inside that circle than outside that circle. So when you talk about, again, why would Activision uh, Blizzard be worth $69 billion to Microsoft, that Valor game, those teams, that spread uh, of people and the and the and the attractiveness of connecting people through uh, their interests is why, and the and the that tournament I think is a great um, snapshot of the, the the future that is available there. UT Dallas and and many DFW high schools have actually you know created their own teams, uh, making it an elective or. Um, you know, they're, they're really tapping into the gaming industry, which is something we haven't really seen, you know, before you tell us, you know, why is that happening and how it contributes to like the overall success of, you know, professional gaming? Yeah, sure. Well, I think, you know, here we have a great comp for traditional sports, the activities, uh, the lessons, the interactivity between the kids and each other and the kids and adults and teachers and coaches. And when you, uh, you know, not that every kid doesn't love going to school every day, but uh, they 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 are much better at it, and they attend much more regularly if there's some community there besides just who they sit next to in science class. Again, you're connecting people through their interests, not just through geography. So when you can get a kid engaged in extra one extracurricular activity at the school, it changes the dynamic of their the context in which they view school and so having them come together in teams play something they're they they want to do anyway so it's no different than basketball or football or anything like that uh, i'm not sure anyone wants to run track and field but they do it anyway but so but they want to play these games and then you have teachers who can connect with them as mentors coaches friends uh, and it gives them teachers they can connect to outside of just someone who's responsible for giving them a grade for a science class. It really helps them in a, a, all the same ways that traditional sports help, except for maybe the uh, uh, you know some of the physical ones. But it helps in friendships. It helps in learning how to win, how to work and play well with others, how to lose, uh, how to prepare, um, and and also gives a certain amount of validation. Uh, to things they're already interested in. So anytime you have a goal and you make steps towards that goal, your body and brain reward you with serotonin and other positive things, helps develop your dignity um, and sense of self at a very dynamic age uh, range for kids. Um, and so I think it has 
uh, almost unlimited benefits and it helps us tremendously because you know we can't do the entire lift. We have to concentrate on the top of the pyramid and let all the different organizations that fill up the rest of the pyramid kind of do their own version that's best for them and then connect together uh, at peak events where we have the best teams in the world. Welcome to Jeff Moore, president and CEO of Dallas-based Envy Gaming. You just hit it, Jeff. The the people who don't understand gaming think it's a solo, isolated, you know, one one kid in a in a bedroom playing for hours on end. It, you've just made the case. It is a social endeavor uh, for gamers, and that also speaks to the power of of taking over the esports uh, arena in Arlington, right? So that there is that's this right. social right. component. Yeah, that's right. So you know the the. The technological, you know, explosion that we've seen. Uh, my my son Jackson goes to AM, he's 22 right now. But when I was, I'd go up and tell him to, it's time to go to bed. He'd be playing, you know, up in our game room, and I'd say, "Hey, Jackson, time to go to bed." And I would hear, you know, "Good night, Mr. Moore," from like six or seven of the kids he's playing with who are all in the neighborhood at their own homes. And I'm like, you know, what magic is this? What you know, what witchcraft yeah. are, are we experiencing? But he's he's connected. Uh, they just don't need a driver's license at 16 to connect like like maybe uh, right. we did, Kevin. You know, they, you know, I I had to be able to drive at 16 to go find my friends because we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have you know right. uh, these gaming systems, and so he's connected with people everywhere. There's there's 70 kids from Bowie High School in Austin uh, that were in his rage group. They're on a Discord channel every night of the week, and then they break up and go into different games and plays as groups. So. The high school reunion, as we knew it, might be on the way out, but they're connected more than than we ever were. Now it's about getting the social benefits of it by bringing them together, uh, because because social isolationism is the enemy, you know. And so while they're not necessarily isolated, there the anonymity sometimes that the online interaction can bring in and pick up games and open games is uh, can grow toxic because the competitiveness and the adrenaline gets up. And so what we want to do is we want to bring them into uh, into the sunlight in a way and together uh, because that changes your behavior towards each other and you modulate it and you have to learn how to do that in order to be a productive member of society in work, education, play, home life, et cetera. And so I think that to the degree that some people are isolated in that, we want to bring them out into, into community um, for all the same reasons that churches do or schools do or businesses do. What about speaking of social? What about a restaurant concept like we've seen with Top Golf and and pickleball is 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 got a restaurant concept and of course Lucky Strike Bowling is that an offing for for gaming? Yeah, I think that that it's a um, I think it is, uh, and there'll be many different types of it because there's many different types of gaming, um, and and so the um, but I think the. The, it depends on who you're going for. So, so just as a as an as an activity, there's a level of it. Uh, on mobile, there's a level of it. And so, even just the engagement. If you go back a hundred years, when I would go to bars when I was single, I'd play QB one. So you'd be sitting there with my brother and our friends. We'd have the little consoles that played the NFL game. We would be guessing the next play. We'd get points. We'd do whatever. And that sort of engagement. Now you don't need the the console. You just need an app and and a cell phone. But that's engagement gaming in a food and beverage environment that drove us to certain locations. They add programming live in the bar. They have a DJ or they have someone kind of moderating, doing prop bets and whatever. And all that sort of engagement 
is just just changes over time. People do karaoke, people do trivia nights, people do you know dinner theaters. You know all those things are are gaming uh, in a way. Uh, like we have chess streamers. Uh, you know, so chess is a game. Uh, the video presentation of that or poker and all those things are just the same thing. Uh, Call of Duty is just chess, except there's it's team chess on a 4D level, better graphics. Uh, much faster, you know, I guess speed chess in the parks are similar. So it's just like if you had four people together playing four of the people in chess uh, fast, uh, it's the same thing. So it's not any more violent than chess. Chess can be violent if you thought about it. Uh, but it's really, it's, it's yeah. just the cognitive ability combined with the, 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 the mental ability and the reaction ability is literally unbelievable for these players. Uh, so, so yeah, I think every sort of extrapolation you would see of, of traditional sports uh into our lifestyle culture all the same things or more will happen with with esports and gaming all right jeff we have arrived at the portion of the podcast where we ask our guests to recommend a a something they're streaming or downloading yeah, music yeah. tv movie book uh what do you have for us this week well i would say that um from a music standpoint if uh, if you if you uh, if you haven't tried Spoon or Cage the Elephant, I would give them a listen. Uh, Spoon's an Austin band. Cage the Elephant is parts unknown, as far as I know. But I would I would check both of those groups out. From a book standpoint or a video standpoint, I've been consuming a lot of Jordan Peterson, Douglas Murray, Thomas Sowell um, lately, and then also Jonathan Haidt, who does. He wrote a book with uh, another author's Greg, somebody I free right now, called The Coddling of the American Mind. And he goes into mm. kind of why today's youth uh, kind of has almost the opposite lessons from our generations being taught to them that, you know, your feelings are primary. What doesn't kill you really hurts you anyway. Um, you know, it's just kind of this, this whole kind of safety security over kind of becoming more resilient, you know, which was always kind of the lessons that uh, coaches in tight shorts blowing whistles yelling at us while we did push-ups were you know, talking to us about. And so so he's very insightful as, a, I think, a professor from Columbia, and he kind of unwinds the origins of where that came from and of why it came into the education system and our larger culture and just how terrible it is for this generation. It's obviously augmented primarily by social media and how it's even worse for girls than it is for boys. And, um, and so when the Bible talks about comparison as the thief of joy, um, you know, when you read his book or watch his videos, you can just see how that plays out dramatically. And when you have your own kids and, and our generations are, are somewhat different, you can see kind of that, that negative uh, impact. And so as I see that and I look at esports and gaming and then the influencers created by it, I can see how why the competitive side of video game playing is so important is because the same lessons of preparation, taking care of your whole self uh, and competing uh, are very important lessons for life in general, not just esports. but the lessons of competition translate into life because that journey is competitive as well. You've given us a lot to think about there, Jeff. And, uh, and my youngest son, Frank, who's 22, is a Cage the Elephant fan. So I have heard, oh, there we I go. Have heard oh. uh, them and they're, they're pretty oh. good. Yeah, if you if you listen to "Come a Little Closer," that's that's the that's the song I would start with. Yeah, good good recommendation, Marcus. What do you have for us this week? 
I am on the Netflix wave still. I am. I just finished um, Adam Sandler's new movie, um, Hustle, which uh, captures the career of Juancho Herman Gomez. Uh, I, I thought it was really interesting. I, obviously, um, there's a lot of things that aren't, you know, ho- they're Hollywood. You know, they're they're a little bit blown out of proportion. But I think it's really what what really caught my eye throughout that whole movie was the amount of NBA players they got to participate in the whole movie dealing with that many celebrities. And then you go to the credits and I was like, Oh, I didn't even see that person. So it makes you want to go back and, and watch. Um, I, I thought it was probably like a seven and a half out of 10. I, I, it kept my attention. Uh, it wasn't too, you know, um, I, I don't know. Not, didn't have too many down moments. I, I really thought it was interesting though. So that that's my recommendation for this week. And have you finished The Lincoln Lawyer on Netflix? I have. And honestly, one of the best shows I've seen uh, as of late. So uh, I know Monica will be excited to talk about that on, on her return next week. Yeah, Joanne and I are a couple in. So we it's it's uh, it's good. And and Jeff, last weekend, Marcus was up in Henrietta, Oklahoma yeah, for, the, for the Troy Aikman Highway sure. to Henrietta sure. fundraiser sponsored by AT&T. It was an incredible undertaking. Even Gwen Stefani showed up uh, uh, with husband Blake Shelton. 10,000 plus people at Nichols Park in Henrietta. Everything, all the proceeds benefiting education and community initiatives. What was it like on the ground there, Marcus? Um, It was super hot. So that that was one. But honestly, uh, it was a great time. Shout out to all the fans that came out and dedicated. You know, people were telling me that they were there since 8 a.m. waiting for the gates to be open, and they were excited to see Troy. Um, if you if you look at uh, Highway to Henrietta Social, I made I made about I think he's a f- five year old. Uh, I gave him a signed Troy Aikman ball, and he was in disbelief because there his family was one of the first people there. So um, no, it, it was a really great experience, and it, it's for a good cause. And so you know, we'll uh, we'll hope to bring it back. Well, I, I made stops in Henrietta many times, living in Oklahoma City, going to see family in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Henrietta was the pit stop. So uh, shout out to the Holiday Inn and the McDonald's, uh, the fighting hens used to gather at in Henrietta. And yeah. uh, and some of my fraternity brothers at Oklahoma State played in eight-man football and played against Troy when he was in high school playing eight-man football. And he said, it's weird seeing the biggest person on the field be the quarterback, you know, uh, for the other team. And he said, you know, uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, when I was at the Fiesta Bowl where, uh, OSU beat Notre Dame afterwards, I met a lot of people from Henrietta who were talking about this event and how excited, you know, all the kind of expat Henriettians were to go back and go to that event because they just love seeing something, you know, that special happen in their, their hometown. Um, so it's incredibly meaningful. Uh, and I'm, I'm very happy and proud of Troy for doing that. And somewhere along the line, Jeff, the, the fighting hens became the knights. Oh, so they, they, oh, made, they had oh, a, uh, yeah. I, I guess I guess they got their necks ringed one too many times. I, I, I guess so. No, yeah, yeah, you can't can't you can't go there. My my download for this week, and obviously, uh, Stanley Cup uh, uh, final is underway with Colorado and Tampa Bay. I'm I'm, I'm watching those games. NBA finals continue. Looks like Golden State is in good shape there. Uh, but also, I, I'm a Bosch fan, and I've talked about the program before. I uh, streamed through Amazon uh, five or six seasons, and now the spinoff, Bosch Legacy, is available. It's technically on the streamer Freebie, which used to be IMDb 
TV, but I, I can access it through Amazon Prime, so I hope yeah. everybody else can too. But it follows the story of Bosch. He's now a private investigator. His daughter Maddie's on the LAPD. Uh, uh, Honey Chandler is the uh, is the lawyer. It's it's pretty good. So uh, that that's my recommendation uh, for this week. So another good show on behalf of Monica Paul uh, on Pins and Needles. The big announcement, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> Thursday night, Thursday late, 4 p.m., I believe, uh, on whether or not Dallas gets a World Cup, uh, is a, will be a World Cup 2020. Of course they are. We're sending good vibes. But, uh, yeah. but good luck, Monica. On behalf of Monica and the Sports Commission, thanks to our guests, Jeff Moore and Gina Miller. Thanks to the Mike Drop production team, Daniel whitelaw Piscura, Marcus Carr and Reeves Eddins. Thanks to Rennet Vocal Media. Of course, our showrunner, and visionary Tony Fay. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody. Right. Thank you.